fantastic. Um, so a little bit about me. I know um, many of you know me, uh, the much younger version of me. I have a beard now. I don't know how long it'll stay. My wife will be the decider of that one. Um, but um, I was the youth pastor here, the very first youth pastor here, a long, long, long time ago. And since then, uh, we've always felt called to go back to Argentina. And Go Ministries was like, hey, uh, come join us, learn from us, help us do what we do. And then after a certain amount of time, we'll, we'll send you to Argentina and you'll be able to take all of Go with you to Argentina. And so we had this dream of planting churches, and Go kind of blew that up and said, I don't want you to plant a church, I want you to plant uh, dozens of churches. And so for the past three years, we've been working in the Dominican Republic, for the past uh, three years exactly, uh, coming up on this October. And when I first joined Go Ministries, we had, I believe, about... Um, I think there was 43, uh, 43 churches that we had planted up to that point, and today we are at 164. So we've been able to plant 164 churches um, in that time, and it's been awesome uh, to be able to see and experience, but that's just uh, a part of what we do. Um, Go Ministries as a whole, we consider ourselves a disciple-first organization. So the main thing of everything we do is discipleship. We have different areas. So we have Go Sports, and uh, we have roughly about 1,000 kids come every week from all different backgrounds uh, that come and play sports with us. And the coaches have a unique ability to disciple their athletes. And so uh, we disciple our athletes when they come. So imagine, imagine it's a scary thought, but imagine a 1,000-kid youth group of kids that come from 6 years old all the way up to 18 uh, and so we get to minister to those kids all week long as they play their sport and as we deal with real-life struggles uh, in their lives. We also have Go Medical, and we have kind of like a, um, an urgent care clinic. And we see roughly uh, about 75 patients every day. We keep breaking that number, that record. Um, and, uh, and as the doctors, who are all Christians, and nurses and people that work in the, in the clinic, they get to disciple their patients. They get to speak in their lives more than just here. We're helping with your medical care, uh, but let me tell you about somebody else and why we do what we do. Um, and we also have a school where we have roughly about 500 students that come from pre-K, my littlest one. Me and Noah actually went to that school for a couple years. Our littlest one, uh, Oliver, who you'll be thankful that we left home today. <laughs> but he's coming later. Two services, he's four. Might be much for him. But um, he goes to pre-K uh, preschool there, and uh, it goes all the way up to ninth grade. And the teachers there get to disciple their students. So it's more than just about education. It's more than just about medicine. It's more than just about sports. But we use those avenues to be able to reach out to people say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, not, not wait for the kids to come to us as we meet them where they're at. And so that's the holistic view of who we are at at Go Ministries, and we, and I've been working as the lead director of Go Ministries, so I'm overseeing, it's a scary thought, but I'm overseeing all of church planting in the Dominican Republic, and um, yes, we've planted 164 churches, and so we're taking all of Go Ministries to Argentina with us, of how, how do we engage with the culture, how do we reach out to people, all through the lens of discipleship, and today what I want to share with you this morning um, is about servant leadership, and it came to me um, 
it came to me uh, because um, we were having, uh, what, uh, our leaders, we get together every once in a while, uh, probably like once a month, we'll get together with all of our leaders, and we have what we call desert days, where, um, as you know, um, when uh, in ministry, we have tons of meetings. We, I feel like we have so many meetings, and so we have to like turn all that off. We turn off our phones. We step away for one day, and during the work hour from 9 to 5, we just have what we call desert days. There's about 10 of us that get together, and we just, you can either pray, you can listen to worship music, you can read your Bible, but you got to do one of those things for the whole work day. And we do it all together, kind of have this retreat area that we go to. And this sermon today came from that day. It's very similar what you guys do with Unplugged, where you guys go off for a weekend, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, we got to participate in one of them uh, last month, and it was awesome to be able to literally go and be unplugged and not be um, overblown by all the noise that we get today. We're constantly bombarded by noise and be able to turn that off. And so this sermon came from that space of silence, of being able to listen from a scripture that I'm sure all of us are very, very familiar with. And uh, let, me, let me start by reading it. John 13, 1 through 3, is just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So let me set this scene up. It's the Passover festival. The Passover festival for the Jewish culture was a lot kind of like our Christmas, right? It was, it's kind of like a bigger festival, and inside that bigger festival were kind of these little ones that, that were happening during the Passover festival. So can you imagine it's Christmas time? And Christmas time is a busy time, and everyone's preparing for this Passover festival. So imagine Jesus is sitting in his room with his disciples. And there's all this commotion. There's, a, there's like this, this Christmas spirit or there's this like right before Christmas, there's this feeling that you have like there's magic in the air. There's lights everywhere. Everyone, for the most part, not everyone, but for the most part, feels joyful. There's this, there's this anticipation for we can't wait for Christmas and, and there's get togethers and there's Christmas dinners. And this is one of those moments where Jesus is hanging out with disciples. So there's, there's this kind of noise in the background. Jesus was about to leave. He spent about three and a half years or so with his disciples, and he's about to leave. And, and, and it says he loved them, and he knew things were about to get real bad. His disciples had no idea that Jesus was about to die. He's like laying these breadcrumbs for him. Hinting at, I'm, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to come back, but I'm going to die first. And they have, they have no clue. They have no idea these breadcrumbs that he's leaving for them. And so he's hanging out with his guys. Uh, there's, this, there's this kind of commotion about the whole evening. He loved these guys, and one of them betrays him. Even in the midst of his own special team, the devil finds his way in. That blows my mind if you stop to think about it. Jesus handpicked these guys, and the devil still found a way in. This was Jesus' closest-knit group, and the devil still found a way in. 
That, that blows my mind. It was dinner time, uh, and Jesus, God, put everything under Jesus' control. It says, Jesus, you're in control. All the power had been given unto him. And I look at that scene, and the first thing that comes to my mind is it's chaotic. It's uncomfortable. Jesus spent the last three-plus years pouring into these guys, and that team of 12 people are this close from falling apart. It's this close from coming to an end. And I think sometimes in ministry, when we think about it, sometimes in ministry, everything feels like it's falling apart. Like, I've been in ministry for a very long time. And I've had highs, and I've had lows, and I've had a lot of bumpy seasons in between. And even in my work in the DR, there are moments when things feel like they're falling apart. Was this what God, is this what you meant, God? I mean, we have, we have, I put the right people in the right place. God, you've been leading me up to this moment. This is a good thing. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're doing what you call us to do. Why are things so difficult? Why are things so hard? Why does it have to be this way? And you look at that room, and the whole time I'm reading, and I'm, well, I'm reading and rereading and rereading and praying that, that desert day, and I keep rereading it, and it just comes to me as like, there's all this chaos that's happening, and Jesus is just kind of like, almost as if he's standing back and looking at the room, and he's saying, everything's about to fall apart. I love these guys. They have no idea what's going to happen. The devil has already, already got his claws into one of my people that I picked, Judas, and he's about to betray me. Someone that saw him, someone that did life with him for the last three years is about to turn his back. And I look at that moment, and what do you, what do, you do? What do you do in moments like that when everything feels like it's falling apart? As we look at the Christian church today, um, it will come to no surprise to you, and I, I'm sure it's things that most of you probably already know and things that you probably feel but never have put in words to it, but the Christian church is shrinking in the United States. As we planted 164 churches in the Dominican Republic and as we go to launch Go Ministries in Argentina with the, the vision and that God's given us of planting 100 churches um, in six years, by, the, by 2030, the Christian church in the United States is shrinking. I'm sure that's not a, a surprise to any of you uh, when you look at overall Christianity in the United States. It's, we're not gaining ground. This is the first time, and I, don't, I'm, I tried to look up the statistic, but I didn't want to lie to you guys. It's probably like 100 years. This is the first time that the Christian church, we, we lost more churches than what we planted. So uh, we planted 3,000 churches a few years ago. We planted 3,000 churches, but 4,500 churches closed. So we planted less than what, uh, than what uh, closed. And usually the historical trend is a lot of churches closed, but we're constantly planting new ones and so the growth of Christianity continues to happen. And you can say, well, the pandemic caused a lot, to, a lot of this to happen. Because the pandemic happened, a lot of churches closed. This is before the pandemic. This is 2019. 
4,500 churches closed and only 3,000 opened. If we look at the trend, uh, we, uh, Chris, people that consider themselves Christians, 15% have, have said, I have no Christian affiliation in you whatsoever. Um, um, and also at the same time, as we drop in, in people that consider them Christian, we see a rise in people that don't believe in any faith at all, in that exact same number. We have all these cultural problems and we have all these political problems and we look at the mess at, of the world right now and we see that it's kind of, a, kind of a mess and we say, what do we do? What do we do? How do we move forward from here? Because it seems like everything we're trying to do is failing. It feels like as we continue to push forward and, and, and continue to grow the kingdom of God here on earth, as we continue to plant new churches, as we continue to try to reach people. I saw in the prayer concern uh, to, to pray for those who don't know Jesus yet. As we continue to reach out and, and try to teach people about Jesus, as we look at the overall statistic of the United States, we're losing ground. More and more churches are closing. More and more people are turning away from Jesus. More and more... Um, things seems like they are going out of control. So what do you do? How do we move forward from here? And as a missionary, um, uh, it's not my job to bring bad news. <laughs> I don't want to bring bad news. I want to bring good news. Uh, I want to bring hope. I want to bring like, hey, God is still doing something incredible. But I think in moments, in moments like this, we look to a strong leader. Hey, we need a strong leader. We need somebody that's going to come in and take charge, someone who's charismatic, someone who knows how to get the job done. That's the kind of person that we need. Some, someone who can step in and say, okay, which path do we take? How do we move out of this? And sometimes we look to our, uh, uh, our strongest Christian leaders and we say, as a leader, how do we move past this chaos? Jesus, in the middle of everything and his group falling apart, how do we move past this chaos? How do we move beyond this when everything feels like it's falling apart and yet God is in complete control? How do we wrestle with that? How do we manage to navigate that difficulty. We need a strong leader. And so we, sometimes we, we look to these, these people as a strong leader. And, and I know that when I'm in, in difficulty, I want someone who's a decisive leader. I want someone who's going to get stuff done. I want someone who's going to command a presence and, and, and assure my insecurity saying, hey, relax, we got this figured out. We're going to go in this direction. Okay, let's go in that direction. I need like a battlefield commander who knows how do we, who's been there before and knows how to navigate that. The Bible says, uh, in the book of John, the Bible says that God put all power in Jesus' hands. So my question to you, is Jesus, the most powerful being ever, the most powerful of all time, what did he do? How did he navigate that difficult situation? How did he, in, in light of his whole team falling apart, um, uh, the people that he poured into, guys that he loved, guys that he knew that were on the verge, uh, one of them committed suicide, the other one who was his closest ally, his closest friend, his number one, was going to disown him just the next day, Act like he never knew him. And how, do, how does Jesus, the most powerful person, the best leader we've ever had, how does he continue forward? 
How does he navigate that situation? So he says this. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he wrapped around him. What? That's, that's what you do? <laughs> Your team's about to fall apart and you decide to wash their feet? How does that even make any leadership sense at all? How is that your response, Jesus? If you, I mean, we've, we've read this verse hundreds of times, and you know the story of Jesus watching his disciples' feet, but remove yourself from the familiarity of it and picture a strong leader and ask yourself, would a strong leader do that? In the midst of all these problems in, the, in, in his team, in the midst of all the problems in the world, how does that make any sense at all? What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you washing your disciples' feet? Why do you spend this time navigating the difficulties and telling them how to bond as a team and how much? Tell them again, like, hey, just so you guys know, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. Things are going to be okay. Hey, Peter, don't disown me. Everything's going to be all right. Hey, Judas, don't listen to the devil. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't spend his last time training them or going through another three-point whatever or, or, or doing one last uh, sermon. He doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he takes off his towel, he gets on his knees, and he starts washing their feet. As a leader, as someone who's in charge, uh, overseeing uh, church planting, that doesn't make any sense to me. From a leadership perspective, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would he do that? As a matter of fact, it didn't even make any sense to Peter. Peter, he goes on and he says, he came to Simon Peter. Peter's always the one that says what we all feel, but don't want to say it. Uh, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter said, no. At what point is Peter going to stop saying no to Jesus? <laughs> He's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He's constantly saying things like, I'm going to jump out of the boat and I'm going to walk on water. And he gets overwhelmed. Or Jesus, I will not let this happen to you. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. He's constantly interjecting himself and telling Jesus what he should or shouldn't do. And he says, no, you're not. You will never wash my feet. Here's the hard time that Peter understood is Peter never saw a leader do what Jesus was doing. And he said, that's unbecoming of a leader. You're my leader. I will never let you wash my feet. So everyone who modeled leadership for Peter never washed feet. That's not what leaders do. So Peter's like, you can't do this. This goes against all leadership rules. You're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be up here. You're supposed to tell us what to do. This isn't dignified. This is low work. Leaders don't do that kind of work. So Peter's like, not today. You're not going to wash my feet. And this is what Jesus said to him. And it should be a stinging reminder to all of us saying, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. Jesus, Jesus told Peter, get out of the way. Unless I will wash your feet, you will have no part of me. I know that all those other models of leadership, you got to let all that go, Peter. 
Because this is what leadership really looks like in the midst of chaos, in the midst of things falling apart, in the midst of hardship. Jesus led through serving. Jesus, in his own way, he got up from the meal, he took out his took off his outer clothing, wrapped his towel around his waist, and he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. That's what leadership looked like for Jesus. That's how he served his people through the chaos. So, as I look at the world today in utter chaos, as I look at churches falling apart, they said, uh, I read the statistic recently that 46, listen, this is a very important statistic because it talks about the future of the church in, in America. 46% of pastors want to resign. 46% of pastors want to quit doing ministry. They're tired. They're burnt out. They're exhausted. And they're looking for an exit. So how do we as the church walk through that chaos? How do we lead in the midst of that chaos? Jesus said, we serve. Jesus said, we don't need a commanding leader. We don't need a battlefield commander. We don't need any more charismatic people that are going to stand up and say, this is the way we go, or this is what we need to do. We don't have to have this super duper uh, strategy plan of how to get through all this mess. Jesus said, just, just serve. Get up from the table, take off your towel, and start washing your disciples' feet. Now, I'm not expecting a New Hope Christian church to go to uh, the uh, stop sign here uh, and ask and put with buckets and dish towels and ask people to step out of their cars and take off their shoes and wash their feet. I'm not asking anybody to do that. You can all like let out a sigh of relief. You don't have to literally go outside and start washing people's feet. But here's the bad news of that. Washing people's feet during that time was the hardest work that no one wanted to do. It was disgusting. It was the work that, that uh, as you walked, you had sandals. They didn't have the clean roads that we had today. As you walked, you, you stepped in all kinds of disgusting things. And washing people's feet was the job no one wanted. So my question to you guys as Christians, as people that follow Jesus, what's the work that no one wants here in Bridgeport? What's the work that no one wants to do where we as Christians can step in and say, let me serve you. Let me help. How can I, how can I come? Throughout, throughout the history of the church, I think one of the most beautiful things about the history, learning about the history of the church, is we stepped in when no one else wanted to. The fact that the Bible is constantly telling us to take care of the widow, the orphan, the foreign, and the poor. Throughout history, we've been the one that when everybody is rushing away from the fire, Christians step into it and say, how can I help? Throughout pandemics and plagues throughout history, as people left, Christians say, let me stay and take care of the sick and the wounded. As, as, as uh, horrific things have happened throughout history and people said, I want to leave the situation, Christians stepped in and say, how can I help? The fact that we have the schools that we have, the medicine that we have. Uh, Janelle, uh, Jeanette, you talked about even the science that we have today is because of Christians stepping in when no one else wanted to. Of saying, let me serve the people around me. 
All those advancements came because Christians were willing to step in and serve and not lead through this charismatic top-down, let me tell you how to do things, but how can I come underneath and wash people's feet? Throughout history, Christians have been brilliant, absolutely brilliant at coming in historically for thousands of years, coming in and saying, how, how can I serve? How can I help? And Jesus, Jesus ends with this last teaching. He says, when he had finished washing his disciples' feet, when he put on his clothes and returned to the place, do you understand what I did for you? They were probably shocked. They're looking like, what did he just do? And he asked them, you call me teacher and you call me Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, has washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for that you should do what I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. How many of us consider Jesus our master, our Lord and our Savior? So if he did that for us, Jesus is like, hey, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, you call me master. And if your master did that for you, now you go do that for other people. Jesus is essentially saying, imitate me. How do I lead through chaos? How do, I, how do I lead in the midst of everything else falling apart? How can I, as the lead director of church planting, not only in the Dominican Republic, but as we get sent off to Argentina, and we're going to have chaotic times then too, how do I, as a leader, step into that in the midst of when things feel like they're falling apart? Jesus said, how do you lead through your team through chaos? Serve your team. How do we lead the world in the midst of what it feels like it's burning up all around us? The church has this unbelievable opportunity to step in and say, how can, how can we serve? How can we serve? How can we help those around us? That's the, that's the sweet sauce of what I get to do in the Dominican. That is one of my favorite things. And if, I could, if there was a device... And I'm telling you, I would. If there was a device that could transport us, I know it would, the trip would take way too long. If there's a device that would transport us instantly from Bridgeport to Santiago in the Dominican Republic, I would take you to Odalis' community, and I would show you how he serves his community. And he even says, and I've translated for him hundreds of times, uh, leading pastor, he goes, I'm not the pastor of this church, I'm the pastor of the community. I don't serve just my church. Jesus didn't just serve his 12. He served everyone. I'm the pastor of this community. I look at this community as everything who I am. And so he, uh, when he, he uh, uh, goes into this community, he listens and he says, how can I serve? How can I best serve this community? And when he serves his community, his community starts to listen and says, why are you serving us? Why are you doing this for us? What, what angle do you have? Oh, I don't want anything in return. Do you want us to pay you? I don't want any money. Why are you serving? He says, well, I have a God that served me, and I'm going to serve you. I have someone who loves me unconditionally, and I'm going to love you unconditionally. And his church is growing and growing and growing. He's transforming 
that entire neighborhood. And one of the things that he did in, in his communities, he goes around and he paints houses. So the Dominican Republic is a very, very poor place. And uh, when you're constructing your home, you construct what's important, what actually serves a purpose. And paint, other than beauty, serves no purpose at all. Uh, it serves no actual function other than just making your house beautiful. And so we as Christians get to step in and say, hey, you want us to paint your home? We'll paint your house. What color do you want? And I've been, I've done this so many times. People are like, you're the professional. You choose. I'm like, I am not the professional. I'm just a volunteer. I just, I just come here to serve and they want me to pick out the color house. I'm like, I'm not. My, I fall into this trap before with my wife. Honey, you pick that out. I'm like, I'm not going to pick that out. I'm going to let her pick that out. And so I, I, I get to come to these people's home. I'm like, this is your home. We did, have just come to serve you. I want you to pick out and we get to paint their house for them and we get to make it beautiful to write dignity and pride in their home. And that is a beautiful service. And when you do that, they invite you to come in for coffee. And when they do that, they start asking you why you do what you do. And then you get the beautiful opportunity to say, well, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Like, how, how can I meet this Jesus? Why does your Jesus tell you to do those sorts of things that people fly thousands of miles to come serve? Imitating Jesus. These are some of uh, what we do. We empower the local leaders in the Dominican Republic to help them serve their communities. One of some of the few quick stories, and and uh, we have 40 churches that are planted inside the prison that are run by prisoners. It's bizarre and crazy, but God does it, and I just applaud in, in the background. I got to visit it. It's weird going in a Dominican prison, and you see all these prisoners, and we baptized over 600 prisoners over the past five years. It's been unbelievable and it's been incredible and so one of the things that we do when we serve in our prisons is we have family days and so we'll go in and uh, we'll we'll uh, one of the parts of uh, of a of a husband or a wife being in prison is that their families suffer a lot and they have to go through a lot they go through that prison term and that prison sentence with them because their family's no longer their parent or their leader of their home is no longer present and so we have family days and we invite their kids to come in and we paint faces, we have balloons, we have um, games, and we do all sorts of fun things to say, hey, families come in and let's, let's have a family day together with the parents united, even though it's in prison. And we get to serve their family that way. One of the really cool things that we get to do is um, we uh, got to paint a community center and this community center was falling apart, and it needed, some, it needed some help getting put back together. And it's where they host a lot of different community events. And the, the guy who ran this community center kept asking the government, because it technically belongs to the town. The mayor is in charge. Of, it kept asking the government, hey, I need, I need more paint. It's falling apart. To upkeep. I need more paint. And as governments do, they take forever, right? And so he kept asking, kept asking. Nothing happened. And one of our local leaders said, hey, stop asking the government. As a church, we'll step in. So we showed up, and we painted it brand new, and it looked fantastic. He said, what color do you want? It was a two-tone. It, uh, it was a crazy youth group from St. Louis that flew to the DR, and we got to paint the entire community center on the inside and out. One of the beautiful things that we get to do is we get to pour cement floors. A lot of the floors in the Dominican Republic have dirt floors, and we get to pour cement floors. And this is a stat that I just recently uh, heard about 70% of the, 
of uh, uh, when you pour a cement floor versus a dirt, a dirt floor, uh, it reduces the um, uh, reduces their chances of getting tuberculosis by seventy percent. What? <laughs> by having a cement floor versus a dirt floor. So how as we as a church, we get to serve, we're bringing in all sorts of beautiful things. We walk into a community and say, how can we help? How can we serve? In the midst of chaos that's happening in the United States right now, my challenge to all of you is instead of wanting that top down, we need that commanding leader. We need someone with a voice that's going to push through. We need, we need that battlefield commander. Instead, I implore you, how do you serve? Let's not forget where we came from. When Jesus said, as I've done to you guys, now you guys go serve other people. In the midst of everything fall apart, Jesus served his disciples. So I'm, I'm challenging you guys. If we as a church want to move forward, serve. Serve. That throughout history, that's what the church have always done. Let's not forget where we came from. Let's not forget our ancestry. And let's not forget our heritage. And as we move forward in the midst of uncertainty, serve. What does Bridgeport, Lawrenceville, Sumner need? Where can we as Christians, that's just what we ask. What does this community need? Where are the spaces that it's hurting? And then how can we literally show up and say, I'm here to help? It might not look like painting houses. It might not look like pouring floors. It might not look like doing the things that we do in the Dominican Republic, but you guys are the experts. You guys have lived here most of your life. You guys know who, who's hurting, who's not hurting. Uh, I, I've heard there's a lot of drug problems in this area. How can we as a church wrestle with that? I heard there's other issues. How can we as a church wrestle with those things? How can we show up in those spaces? How can I serve? How can I serve? How can I help? If we want to continue forward, that's the path that Jesus left for us. And that's what I'm leaving for you guys this morning. As my team, as a team leader, as someone who's in charge of leading a lot of people underneath them in the midst of chaos, that's what I'm going to do. Is I'm going to get off my horse. I'm going to step off my podium or whatever I'm on. And I'm going to say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve my team through chaos. I'm going to serve my people in the midst of, I don't know how to move forward. That's what I'm going to do. And, and I challenge you guys to do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you uh, so much for everything you've given us. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for um, serving us first, dear God. Dear God, I know that in times of struggle, and I know that in times of, of chaos and uncertainty, Dear God, it is, it's difficult to find a path forward. Dear God, and I pray um, that, that as New Hope, uh, dear God, as, as a shining beacon in this community, dear God, that it will find a way to serve its neighbors, that will find a way to enter into those broken spaces of our society and, and be able to serve. Dear God, and I pray that it plants the fruit of curiosity of why do you do what you do to give us the ability to share about the name of Jesus. To give us the ability to say, we do this because of you, Jesus. Jesus, and we couldn't do anything that we're doing if you hadn't done what you've done.
Thank you for paying a price that none of us could pay. Thank you for serving us in a way and showing us what it truly looks like to be a servant leader. Dear God, thank you for loving us even to the point of death. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.